Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts Program. I'm your host, Steve Z. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Truth Hurts Program. It is August the 12th, 2021. I have a message to those of you who would actually admit to voting for Joe Biden. Do you have buyer's remorse yet? After watching inflation going skyward, after watching immigration out of control, after watching skyrocketing crime, after watching the social fabric of our nation be further and further divided by Biden and his ilk in the Democrat Party, have you gotten your buyer's remorse yet? If not, why not? Are you that ignorant? Are you that blind? Have you simply closed your eyes to the reality of what is going on around us? We went from a nation at the top of our economic game. We were rolling in manufacturing returns to our country. Our unemployment levels were at record lows, especially for the hyphenated American minority crowds. They saw their job participation rates at the highest levels in recorded history under Donald Trump. We had record low unemployment. I know I said it before, but it's that important. We had energy prices under control, inflation under control, interest rates very controlled. We had home purchasing at all-time highs, especially in minority groups. Consumer confidence was at high levels. Gropey Joe Biden comes into office claiming he's going to fix everything after the Wuhan China novel coronavirus that he and his former boss, Barack Hussein Obama, actually funded into existence. That's right. I'm not going to go through that again. And then, after destroying energy production in America by shutting off the completion of the Keystone Energy Pipeline, by stopping leases on foreign lands and waterways for new oil drilling and production, after killing fracking, and after literally putting hundreds of thousands of direct and ancillary energy sector employees out of business, out of jobs, on the unemployment rolls, after shutting down coal, after telling the nuclear power industry to go pound sand, gropey Joe Biden is now begging OPEC to pump more oil. And if you don't believe me, listen to Congressman Steve Scalise when he speaks about it, or read Katie Pavlich wrote an article, townhall.com, posted yesterday. It's got a picture of gropey Joe with his hand on his forehead looking like, oh shit, what have I done now? Just hours after being sworn into office, Katie writes, on January 20th of this year, President Joe Biden signed an executive order canceling that Keystone Energy Pipeline. Then he moved to kill thousands of union jobs, halted an infrastructure project that was already underway, killed the border wall completely, pushed the United States back into dependency on foreign energy services and sources after Donald Trump had made the country energy independent and, in fact, had us poised as a net exporter of oil. Then Biden further exacerbated U.S. dependency by halting all of those leases for oil and gas drillings on federal lands and waterways. Now as gas prices continue to skyrocket, as much as from what I understand $6 per gallon for unleaded in some states out west, Biden is now desperately asking OPEC, please, please pump more oil. Through one of Biden's political operatives, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan released an official statement on Wednesday morning, quote, Higher gasoline costs, if left unchecked, risk harming the ongoing global recovery. The price of crude oil has been higher than it was at the end of 2019, before the onset of the pandemic. While OPEC recently agreed to production increases, 
Those increases will not fully offset previous production cuts that OPEC imposed during the pandemic well into 2022. At a critical moment in the global recovery, this is simply not enough. He continued, President Biden has made it clear that he wants Americans to have access to affordable and reliable energy, including at the pump. Although we are not a party to OPEC, the United States will always speak to international partners regarding issues of significance that affect our national economic and security affairs, in public and in private. We are engaging with relevant OPEC members on the importance of competitive markets in setting prices. Competitive energy markets will ensure reliable and stable energy supplies, and OPEC must do more to support the recovery. Is this guy insane? Does he really think OPEC gives a shit what he thinks or what gropey Joe Biden thinks? They cut production. They increase prices because supply is less. And why is supply less, gropey Joe Biden? Because you shut down American energy production. You feeble-minded old bastard. You clown. You joke. You traitor. Under Donald Trump's tenure, the U.S. was not only energy independent, as I said, but a net exporter of American oil and gas. But will they do anything at all about it? Oh, hell no. Joe Biden, who claimed to be the middleman, the local boy from Scranton, the guy who was just a little guy, he is doing more to harm our nation and the little guy than anyone. You know, millionaires and those who make lots and lots of money, Gropy Joe, they can afford to pay higher prices for gasoline and jet fuel for their private airplanes and high test for their boats, their motorcycles, their RVs. It's the little guy that you claim to be part of, that you claim to represent with your Democrat party, that you are harming the most because that minimum wage burger flipper is now having to pay double for a gallon of gas to get to his job. And don't hand me any crap about we need to raise the minimum wage. That is just another money grab by the federal government, because if everybody's wages go up to 15 an hour minimum, the government doubles its tax intake. This is the Truth Hurts program. As I said on the show the other day, it is back to school time, and I just saw something on one of these social media sites, and it leaves me scratching my head yet again. This piece is entitled, Back to School Activities That Can Traumatize Your Students and What You as a Teacher Should Do Instead. First of all, your job is to teach. You're supposed to impart knowledge and then test the student's ability to retain and be able to utilize that knowledge. Oh, I know, in this new touchy-feely society of ours, you're supposed to also be a social worker and be caring and concerned about all the little angels and whether or not they live in an environment that is not privileged. What I did this summer, prompts and assignments, can be traumatizing to a student supposedly. According to the Restoration Threads August 6, 2019 article, children may not have anything positive to share. They may have to fabricate or lie in order to cover the fact that they had nothing positive to share. And this creates a social hierarchy of who did what and can trigger flashbacks. Are you kidding me? They suggest instead of saying what I did this summer, you should tell your students to imagine your best day ever. What would happen? So make up some fantasy. It's better to live in a fantasy world than face reality, right? Wrong. How about create a story about two friends spending the day together? No! What I did this summer has been something that schools have been asking since the beginning of schools. What did you do this summer, Timmy? Well, I had it rough. I had to mow the lawn every other day because it rained so much. And I had to bail hay because Dad's tractor broke down. 
And the dog had eight puppies, but only six of them survived, so we had to bury two of them. Oh, that's sad. I'm sorry to hear about the two puppies. Yes, so were we. The black one and the gray one. It's a shame because we really wanted those puppies to do well. It was sad, but life goes on. That's how you teach people how to cope with realities. The third option is, if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? Again, they want these teachers to teach about fantasy land, not about reality at all. I guess they're afraid that some white kid might have gotten to go to Disney World for the few weeks Disney World was open. Or maybe that they got to go out on a sailboat in the water and go deep sea fishing. But the black kid in the class who lives in the projects, well, the only thing he had to do was watch his mama's newest boyfriend OD on crack cocaine. Or watch as a home invasion occurred next door and his best friend gets shot in the head. Oh, we can't have reality creeping in, can we? The next item on this wonderful list. Don't ever ask about the history or origin of your name type of activities, where you came from, because it can be traumatic. You see, according to this, children may not know due to foster care or adoption or incarceration, loss, death of parents. The name itself might be triggering if it's named after an abuser or a person who has died or a person who has left the family due to incarceration or simply found someone else. Instead, they say, introduce yourself to two other students, including your name and something you wish to share about yourself. Name acronym with positive attributes. Learn students' names ahead of time whenever possible as a teacher and model how to ask someone to teach you to properly pronounce a name and say the students' names correctly because not everyone, Miss Teacher, can be a Smith or a Jones. There might be some Abdullah Tekabalabudes out there. There might be some Abdullah Makahualis out there. There might be some other names that are difficult to pronounce. And if you, the teacher, stutter and stumble and stammer over the pronunciation of a student's name, it can cause undue embarrassment and shame because the student will feel as if they are outcasts when compared to you calling Smith and Jones properly by their names. But that's not it, folks. The psychobabble continues. Do not discuss or ask your students about their family or any personal timelines. A child may not know due to separation, divorce, incarceration. They may not have any positive life circumstances to share. Instead, they suggest, talk about the timeline of a historical figure. As long as it's not a white supremacist or a former slave owner, that could be triggering or traumatizing. It needs to be someone of a positive role model, preferably a minority or a member of the LGBTQRSTUV community, something that students can find as acceptable to all, except for those who don't like certain minorities or don't like certain sexual lifestyle types. You could also instead talk about the timeline of the school year. And a special note they write to the Montessori folks, do your birthday circles center life events? It may be something to consider. Give me a break. The next point is don't Bring up students' birthdays. It can be traumatizing, especially to students who were born over the summer months. Celebrating Judy or Timmy or Tyrone's birthday, which occurs today in your classroom, can have a negative effect on Bobby or Lakeisha or Juan because their birthday might have occurred in the summer and they don't get the same special feeling and special treatment that the students whose birthdays are in class might experience. Ooh, That's all right, folks. It gets better. Don't ask your students what mommy does for a living or what daddy does for a living. 
The household might not contain a mommy and a daddy. It might have two mommies, or two daddies, or just one mommy and a guy that pops in and out from time to time, or six guys who pop out from time to time. It might be embarrassing for one student to listen as another student says, my father is an engineer. He works for a major oil company. He makes really good money. And have the other kids say, I don't know who my father is. My mother got knocked up when she was 15. And I'm just, well, I live at home with my mom and my grandmom and my grandmom's girlfriend. And there's these dudes that come in and out all the time and spend time in mommy's room. Yes, that, my friends, could be humiliating or triggering or traumatizing to some of the students. And what if your daddy is an engineer, but the other kid's daddy picks up garbage on the street? That might be embarrassing. So please, teachers, don't ask the students what mommies or daddies or whomevers do for a living, because not everyone can be a chemical engineer or a radio announcer or an attorney or a doctor or a lawyer. I got news for you. The very successful doctors, lawyers, attorneys, engineers, the children of those more affluent, more successful people generally go to private school. They're not in the public schools. But then again, private schools receive some federal funds, so all of these recommendations could also be foisted upon your local private institutions as well. Oh, how dare you ask what kind of car mommy or daddy drives? That could be triggering or traumatizing to an inner city kid who has to take the bus or walk to school. Shame, shame, shame. Everyone's a victim. Everyone is a victim or they're an oppressor. Don't request baby pictures or pictures of any of your students participating in any activities such as dance or sports or horseback riding. You see, children and adults might not have access to these items. Printing them might be a financial hardship to some families. Quality and availability disparities contribute to social hierarchies and I'm better than you type of mentalities. Instead, have the students draw a picture or find pictures of animal babies and adults to show growth. Reimagine all of your activities as a teacher. I'm telling you guys, they're losing it. Don't discuss family trees. For those of you in West Virginia, we know there are no branches. Ha ha ha, just a little West Virginia humor. It says, don't discuss family trees because modern family types might not follow society's expected sense of lineage. Children may not be aware of family connections due to separation, incarceration, death, abandonment, and they may feel othered. That's a word, othered. By a need to explain the family dynamics, which might be embarrassing or humiliating to some, and alienate them from those who are in nuclear mom and dad, brother and sister type families. Instead, ask them to bring pictures of people who care about me. Bring pictures of their significant family members, but you don't need to ask them how that family member fits into the tree. Also, you might want to consider family trees of historical figures, as long as those historical figures are not white, supreme, or ever held slaves. That might trigger someone in your class. Next, it says, Educational trauma is the experience of oppression, bias, or racist acts in an educational setting, or the experience of being re-traumatized by being triggered repeatedly by educational activities, by teachers, and by institutions. I'm telling you folks, these psychobabble morons out there 
are seeking to more and more cocoon our little children away from the realities of life. If you put kids in a classroom and you make them feel as if everything is okay, then little Susie being inappropriately touched by Uncle Fred might just start to seem like it's okay. If you tell every student that the world is full of lollipops, cotton candy, and unicorns and rainbows, when that student spends 12 years to 15 years in your public school system from pre-K-3, pre-K-4, kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and then four years of high school, and then they come out into the real world and realize that for the first 15 years of their social existence, they were lied to, they were inappropriately coddled, they were kept from the truth, the reality, and what truth and reality might that be? That the world in general can be a really great place if you apply yourself, if you contribute to society. Or it can be a really sucky place if you suck from the society only and always be made felt to feel like a victim. You're always playing this role of victim. How can you possibly succeed? How can a person possibly do well when their entire life they've been told, oh, you are underprivileged. You are underserved. You are a victim of racism or bigotry or bullying or homophobia. You are not going to succeed in life. If your entire existence is spent listening to people feeding you the pablum of victimhood, you cannot possibly expect to succeed in life if your entire outlook on life is, my life sucks. And yet here we are, trying to tell the teachers, those who see our children for as much as seven, eight hours a day, five days a week, that you should no longer ask them about their family tree, their family history, their birthday, anything that might be good, that some child might be proud of and want to share, because there might be another child who has nothing to be proud of and doesn't have anything positive to share. And that's not fair. Telling you folks, they are teaching to the lowest level of the lowest student, and they're dragging the successful potential students down into this victim status. Like I said, the way they're teaching things, you're either a victim or you're a white racist oppressor. And all these kids want to do is play together at recess, learn what they have to learn, and go on with their lives. Racism starts with the parents, the grandparents, the uncles, the aunts, and unfortunately, the teachers and other adults in society who have either been victims or been aggressors. And whether they choose to believe it or not, many of the victims are the white people who get robbed by the aggressors who are the criminals who FBI statistics have proven are in the minority. Something to think about. We'll be right back. Good morning, class. My name is Mr. White, and I'll be your teacher this year. It looks like we're going to have a wonderful school year, and I'd like to welcome you all back. What you did wrong here, Mr. White, was to imply that this is your class. Ownership, perhaps? Are you training these students to become slaves? And using that name, Mr. White, with the domineering requirement that you be called by a title? How dare you? These children are your equals, not subservient to you. You have a job, and that job is to teach them. White? Could you come up with a more racist name? How about using your first name and allowing the children to be your equal, Raymond? 
Since we're all trying to be more inclusive and accepting of everyone, I thought it would be a great idea if our first essay is a very short paragraph about what you did over your summer vacation. Take out a piece of paper now and write down what you did over the summer holiday. Wrong, Raymond. You should never ask your students about what they did over the summer break from school. For some students, school is the only happy place they know. And by calling their summer break a vacation, some students might feel the need to lie and make up exotic and wild stories when they were stuck at home in a housing development with little or nothing to eat most days because they live in a marginalized community. Other students might be considered braggarts for speaking about their trip to the Big Mouse Park in Florida, or the beach, or the mountains, or even to a foreign land. How embarrassing for the poor marginalized victims of society when they have a white supremacist student bragging about his wonderful holiday when they had to sit home, huddled under a chair because of fear of being gunned down in their low-income neighborhood. Perhaps you should say, take a few minutes and write down what you think the perfect day would entail. And then each student can give you their hopes, their wishes, and their dreams. Let's try again, Raymond. Okay, class. I'm thinking perhaps we could all get to know one another just a little bit better. How about each one of you write down on a piece of paper, who lives at your house? Talk about your mommies, your daddies, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents. Maybe you have a cousin living with you. Raymond, have we taught you nothing so far? Asking a student from a nuclear family, where he does have a successful, hard-working, tax-paying father, and a mother who might have a part-time job or be a stay-at-home mom, and has a brother and a sister, and perhaps a dog with a fluffy tail is great for that kid with white supremacy and white privilege. But what about the minority child who lives at home with a grandmother because the father was nowhere to be around and the mother's in jail for crack cocaine? And the only brothers or sisters that these individuals know are the half-brothers and half-sisters of many failed relationships from their mother. Perhaps the student lives in a home with two daddies a homosexual relationship, or maybe two mommies, or perhaps a mommy that's raising the child with a parade of men in and out of the housing development each and every night. We're not asking where mommy gets her money, but those guys sure do leave with a smile. Can you try and do better, Raymond? Okay, class. How about we tell us a little bit about ourselves? What is our last name and where our last name originates from? For me, my name White comes from merry old England. Raymond, we have obviously taught you nothing. This is not getting through to you. Raymond, yes, your name screams white privilege, white supremacy. After all, it's white. But what about Kennedy, whose name came from the President Kennedy? You might think that's honorable, but that was a slave name used by the slave masters of the Kennedys going all the way back to the 1600s. And the Washingtons, same thing. And what about poor Abdullah Akarukovo? He can't barely pronounce, much less spell his own name. And now the other students will laugh at him because his name sounds funny. 
Let's try again, Raymond. Shall we? Well, I'd like to find out what your moms or dads or grandmothers or whomever you live with does for a living. Don't you think that would be great? I'll tell you what, folks. I'm a school teacher, and my dad was an engineer, and my mom was a nurse. What about you, class? Raymond, Raymond, Raymond. How embarrassing would it be for one student who doesn't even know who his father is? Or for the student whose father picks up cigarette butts at the shipyard when another student is bragging about his father being an astronaut or an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor or even a judge? You obviously do not grasp the concept. Every child has the potential of being a victim and your questions are raising that victim mentality. Let's try and do better, Raymond. Well, class, it sounds like I'm going to change professions. I don't think teaching is something that's fulfilling or worthwhile anymore. I wish you all the best, and I'm sure the union will have someone in here to obey all these new cockamamie rules that are going around. I just wish you all the best, and remember, the world sucks, and the sooner you find out about it, the less disappointed you'll be. This is what we're doing, folks. This is what we are doing to our children, to our young, impressionable children. When I was a child, my father was an attorney. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. It's not because of any privilege. My father's family came here just one generation before my dad, around 1908, I believe. They were oyster fishermen, hard, grueling work out in the sun, back-breaking work, lifting sacks of oysters onto barges and then chipping them apart because oysters grow together in clumps, cleaning them off and then sending them to the restaurants. It was hard, back-breaking work. My grandfather did not want his children to do the same type of work. He worked very, very hard, insisted that his children grow and study and get straight A's so that they could attend college on a scholarship. And they did. And out of a family of, I believe, six siblings, one was a doctor, four were lawyers. I believe one became a priest, and I think another a dentist. Anyway, there was no handout. There was no government giveaway. There was nothing other than their own hard work. There was no privilege there. They certainly didn't have the privilege of having owned slaves to do things for them. They got here 40, 50 years after slavery was abolished. So don't hand me that white privilege crap. My mom's family were farmers, sugarcane, soybean, rice. Farming is not easy work, especially, especially back then when there were no air-conditioned John Deere cultivators and tractors and this and that and the other. It was done with the old-fashioned plows and sometimes maybe a tractor, but it wasn't an easy life. Again, another family who arrived in this country from Nova Scotia after the abolishment of slavery. No white privilege there. What we're doing to our students, to our children right now, is trying desperately to isolate everyone, marginalize and segregate them without segregating them, making one group feel as if they should feel guilty for being white and therefore automatically privileged, and another group to feel as if they are victims and that they are owed something. This is why our nation is in decline, my friends. 
This is why our nation is on a path to which I feel we may never be able to recover from. And our Democrat leaders are doing everything they can to push the lies of critical racist theory, victim status, victim mentality, reparations, someone owes you something. They're pushing this every single day in every possible media format onto those so-called victims. Instead of telling people, hey, you had it rough, but you can pick yourself up, dust yourself off, try hard and succeed and prove them all wrong. No, 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 no. We don't do that in America anymore. Now we say, oh, woe is you. You are a victim. So here's something free. And guess what? Just like that stray cat that comes to your back door, if you feed him once, he will return every night demanding more food. And if you refuse to give it to him, he's liable to scratch the window screens right off of your windows and urinate all over your house. This is the society we're building, a dependent class, not only unwilling, but incapable of success. That's going to do it for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. Go out there and make it a great day, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. This program, copyright 2021, The Truth Hurts Network.